0: Good morning, church. It's great to be uh, here today and and where you are today. I hope that it has been uh, a great week, and even if it hasn't, I try to remind you guys of this from time to time, that today we serve a great God, and so you are listening to this message for a reason, uh, and I hope that God encourages you, even if it's been a, a difficult last several days. Uh, Be reminded that that today we're expecting some pretty bad weather, I think, at least we are by the time we're uh, recording this message, and so I hope that you and your family stay safe and take precautionary measures to be careful with those uh, storms coming, okay? Uh, Man, it is a glorious day, even despite the storms, it's a glorious day because God's people are gathering, at least in spirit, uh, to worship the living God, to worship Christ, Uh, and so I'm thankful that you chose to worship with us today, we'll get to the message here in just a moment, but before we do... I just have a couple of announcements that I want to run through. And a lot of these will sound familiar, but I just want to keep them on your ears so that you know some things that are going on in the life of our church, okay? Uh, First of all, I wanted to remind you that we have our online giving available now, which will be in the link. Uh, attached to this in the description. It's also on your screen, I think, right now. And so uh wanted to let you know that that's there, that's available. Many of you have given by, by mail and that's great. Some of you have just brought a physical check and put it in, in the in the mailbox which is which is fine too. So uh, want you to just do whatever is convenient for you and for your family. But the online giving thing is available, okay? Uh, speaking of which, there's a place in, in our, um, on, our, on our website to go and do online giving that has designated offerings. And one of those that we've been doing, uh, and we had announced it before the quarantine and our, our you know, shelter-in time has begun, and that's the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering is, is an offering that goes to North American missions and churches and missions efforts in our, on, on our continent. Uh, And that is an effort that we at Spring Hill have been faithful to give to for many, many years. Uh, This year we set a goal for $4,000 and we did not meet that goal. Uh, Right now I think that our total is $1,637, which obviously is understandable considering... The way that we do things changed drastically, uh, and so I wanted to let you know that you can still give to that, either by again sending a check with that designated in the memo line or by doing it online, okay? You can give to that whenever you'd like, but uh, we officially had said that we'll go through Easter, but if you want to continue to do that, you are absolutely more than capable okay, and able to go and do that. Uh, I also wanted to remind you that Wednesday nights at 6 we'll have our midweek devotions via Facebook Live. And I hope that you take advantage of that and are, and are filled and that God ministers to your soul in that way. Uh, the students are also doing their Zoom calls at 6.30. Now, if you want any information about either one of those things and if you you know, not sure how the technology works or you want to get information about that, Just reach out to our Facebook page, or you can email me at SpringhillPastorCaleb at gmail.com. Either way, we just want to make sure that we're available to you. And some of you guys have been reaching out and asking questions about things like that, but we just want to make sure that that you're taken care of, okay? And then finally, at the end of our time uh, today, we'll have our discussion questions. And again, this time that we listen to the message God's Word preached, it's intended to not be listened to individually, but in a group effort, because... Just like we listen to the word in a group effort as the congregation in the sanctuary, God's word has a way of sharpening us corporately. And although we can't do that now in the sanctuary because of the current setting that we're in, we can do it as a family or with the people under your roof. And so I hope that you do that. And the discussion questions that we add are helpful uh, and because that's the, what they're intended to be. It's helpful so that you can be growing and sharpening one another to grow in godliness. And then one more thing, if you have any prayer needs, Please reach out to to myself and let me know ways that I can be praying for you. It's obviously hard to pastor you from afar, but I want to do the very best way that I can, or the very best that I can, to still minister to your needs even from a distance. Okay, um, you know today is going to be an interesting day because there's bad weather coming, and um, you know because we are still quarantined and, and shut in, but the world is looking for. Hope, And they're hoping that hopeful days are ahead. Uh, But today as we begin the book of Colossians, I think that's an appropriate way to transition into prayer because while the world is hoping that there is hope to be had in the future, we'll see in Colossians today that our hope is unfading, unperishing, it is undefiled, it is there waiting for us because it has been secured in Christ. So as we pray now, let's thank God for that and also ask for him to cultivate our hearts through the preaching of the word. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace in our lives. I pray, Lord, that now as we enter into a time of worship through the scriptures, that you would write it on our hearts and that we would place our hope and our trust in your truth, the gospel, the truth, instead of any other the truth that we may strive to bring to the table. Lord, there is hope found in Jesus, and I pray that whoever is listening to this this morning would find refuge in that truth. God, get us out of our own ways. Give us a spirit of humility and and service to you that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, it's uh, my favorite, probably, I think of Paul's letters. I'll give you just a few moments to get there before we really begin things. Uh, If you're a part of Spring Hill and and this is your home church, you know that recently we went through the book of Ruth, and that was actually, we finished Ruth on the last day that we were able to meet in our building, and that was timely, right? I'm glad that we were able to finish uh, in the presence of one another After that obviously we started meeting in this medium and we did some sort of thematic and culturally timely messages and got to kind of jump around and look at some encouraging words in a few different places and today I'm going to begin Colossians and we're studying, we're going to go just like we have through 1 Corinthians and Galatians and John and Jonah and Ruth is we're going to go verse by verse, passage by passage and line by line through the book of Colossians and see what it is that Paul was teaching and instructing to the church in Colossae but then, what he also has for us. You know, right now in our world, the headlines and the stories are constantly evolving about, you know, COVID 19. Constantly evolving regarding this. And so it kind of started out and people were saying, oh, it's it's just another flu. And then things started to get a little more serious. And they say, okay, we, we probably really need to be intentional about washing our hands and being careful. And then the next thing you know, you know, a couple of weeks go by and we're talking about shutting the whole economy down. And hey, this is just going to take a couple of weeks and and we'll get things started back again. And then like two weeks ago, I'm hearing that, well, it's going to be like this for 12 to 18 months. And I mean, people have just been all over the place with predictions and wondering what's going to happen next. And now I think that there's rumblings about business as usual beginning somewhat at least around May. And so, I mean, really, the headlines are just constantly evolving regarding this coronavirus. And through all of this, the control that humanity has on this world is being exposed as anything but a firm grip. But in all of this, what a great reminder that though we aren't in control, God is right. God is in control. And yet, this week I saw a video. It was it was um, I think that it was a press related event where a Governor of New York Andrew Cuomo was referring to their effort in New York of limiting COVID-19's spread. This is a paraphrase. He said that the numbers of decrease are a direct result of what we do or don't do. We want to be wise. We don't want to be reckless. He then said, quote, we are in control of our future. Another quote from him, same interview or same press release was, God did not do that. Fate did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. There is in our culture and in all cultures really of all times an obsession with denying the sovereign and supreme control rule and reign of god on this earth we can make no mistake about it. it's there and it's very very evident and paul even two thousand years ago with the church in colossae had heard of colossians the colossians being verbally challenged 30 years, by the way, after Jesus, the supreme God, dealt a sovereign death blow to sin at Calvary. And so Paul, hearing about rumblings, challenging the authority and the supremacy of God, writes this letter. And I'm here now to walk with you through this letter, this book, and give you the same reminder. And that is simply this, that Jesus is supreme, and we must be rooted in him as we seek to then grow in him. So let's check it out. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 today, okay? Colossians 1, 1 through 8, and then again, we'll pick it up and keep going next week, all right? Colossians 1, 1 through 8, and this is what the Word of God says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, maybe on our behalf, depending on your translation, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now listen, we, we went fast through that, and so there's, there's going to be some advantage in taking a slower, kind of you know, meticulous reading of this, and so if you were confused by some things there, it's okay, okay, because we're going to kind of walk through this kind of slowly together. We'll get to the substance of the letter here in just a moment, but before we do that, we kind of have to first understand the situation or the, the setting, the word for that would be the context of, of the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. Paul begins this letter as he begins all of his letters with a greeting and some certain well wishes. And we see that in verses 1 and 2 where he identifies that he's writing on the behalf of himself and his brother, his uh, his sort of apprentice in the faith, Timothy. He writes that he says, I'm writing to the saints, at, uh, the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Another way of just saying, I'm writing to you, the church Christians, at this place called Colossae. Now, at this time in history, it's about 30 years after Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, and then he has ended his earthly ministry by ascending to his throne reserved for him at the right hand of the Father. 30 years have passed since then, and so there have been some pretty significant developments that have happened since then. This guy Epaphras that we mentioned here just a moment ago in verse 7 is a unique figure, and we'll hear his name a couple more times, As we sort of walk through the passage today and also as we look at it in the weeks to come but epaphras was a local guy he was a colossian he was from the region of colossae and he became a believer through the ministry of the apostle paul in ephesus by the way ephesus which is the letter to the ephesians where we know that name ephesus is about a hundred miles to the west of colossae and so these guys were sort of kind of close neighbors But Epaphras was ministered to and became a believer through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. Now what is made apparent in chapter 4, which we'll eventually get to, is that Epaphras has been with Paul, even as this letter is being written, as a visitor or possibly as a co-prisoner, where Paul is writing from prison. And he's explained to him a variation of the gospel that in its context has begun to to have an attack on the Colossian church. And so Epaphras a concerned Colossian is with Paul, and he's saying, Hey, Paul, you need to know that there's some problems that are happening in our church. Now, the setting that's happening here is that there's a there's a major highway that ran through Colossae. And so the city was made up of various ethnic, and because it's various ethnic people, there were also various religious groups that were represented. And so all these people sort of mixed together, which inevitably, which sort of begin some crossbreeding of religious beliefs. And so there were false teachings that inevitably would come about, and then one has come about, and Epaphras is explaining this to the Apostle Paul. Now, what exactly was this false teaching? And the reason that we want to focus on that for a second is because it's vitally important to understanding why Paul is then going to say what he says in this letter. So flip forward just for a second to chapter 2, We're going to look at verses 8, and then 16, and then 18. And while I'm not going to read them all word by word, you're going to see in this passage, in these verses, that there are some things that explain some things about this false teaching. You know, someone among these people seemed to have gotten a following as some sort of a self-titled, spiritually enlightened person that had access to the deeper meanings of life and life experience. And so this person began encouraging people to practice certain rites and rituals as a means of protection from evil spirits and then deliverances from afflictions. And based on these verses that we see that Paul writes, he's saying, don't believe those things, believe these things. All right? But look at verses 8 and then verse 16 and then verse 18. I'll tell you what, let's read verse chapter 2 verse 8 and then we'll kind of explain a couple of things. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Okay, you just hear that there. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, much of the same is sort of echoed in verses 16 and 18, but we see just in this verse here a few things, right? He's saying about this false teaching that it's hollow and deceptive, that it depends on human tradition, which means maybe they were rooted in more Jewish tradition that was extra-biblical, that it depends on elemental spiritual forces of the world; that it does not depend on Christ. Later in verse sixteen, he that it, he says that it advocates observance of food restrictions in certain Jewish holy days. In verse eighteen, he says that it, these people are, are encouraging you to practice ascetic disciplines, which what that means is that they're they're asking them to to. Be refrain from all types of indulgences, have no pleasure, have no fun, starve yourself. You aren't allowed to do anything. This is what it means to be a follower of God. Okay. And so this is what these ascetic disciplines were. And they saying, don't believe those things. In verse 18, he says that more of this false doctrine, that it focuses or worships angels, that it focuses on visions, and that false teachers are arrogant and proud people. Okay. So all of that being said, and that's important, right? And we just kind of went through it quickly. But the reason that that is so important to this letter is because it devalues and it devalues the power and the authority of Christ. Because he is supreme over all powers. And what we're going to see in this letter is that Paul is echoing that. He's saying, don't subscribe to those things. Christ is supreme. He is all powerful. Don't let those things devalue his power. The false teaching will have no attraction if the Colossians know and understand the beauty of the true word of God that has already come to them, by the way. And so what I'm going to suggest to you today, and we'll get to our notes in just a moment, is that the best way to combat the gusts of false doctrine that push you to and fro is to be deeply rooted in, hear this word, the truth. And so our title this morning, I think you've already seen that on the slide when we started to begin things, and that is The Soil of Our Hope. The Soil of Our Hope. And we're going to see that it produces two things, this, this hopeful soil that God has given us in the gospel. It produces two things. Number one, it produces the fruit of faith and love. It produces the fruit of faith and love. Now, verses 3 through 8 are a section really of thanksgiving, and he's mentioning what he's praying for for this church, Colossae. But intertwined within it are some words of instruction and affirmation for God's people. And so, while it's tailored to a specific audience, no doubt about it, it's about thanksgiving, there's also in here some instruction and affirmation for us included. Look at verse 3. He says, We always. Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Okay, so this is endearing. Just reading his tone, it's endearing and it's relational, which is sort of interesting because Paul had likely never met these people. That's kind of weird, right? Because Paul was on a lot of missionary journeys, but there's no evidence that he ever physically went to the church in Colossae and ministered to them. But he speaks to them still with pastoral care, which is very interesting. Look at verses 4 and 5. okay, so we haven't stopped praying for you. We're always thanking God when we pray for you since, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of, hear that phrase, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Okay, I don't know if you're a fan of underlining in your Bible, but if you are, I'm going to suggest to you a few things right there that you need to consider underlining. I'm going to reread that again, okay? Since we heard of your faith, that's one of them, faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love. Okay, so we've heard of two things about you, that you have faith and that you have love. That's another one of them, right? That you have for all the saints, listen to these these words here, because of, okay, so grounded upon, foundation upon the hope. Here's another one. The hope laid up for you, In heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So, where does that hope come from? It comes from the word of truth, the gospel. Okay, we're going to come back to those phrases and why those are important in just a moment, but I want to first focus on that last part the word of truth, the gospel. Now, already in this passage, verses one through eight, we're going to see him use that word truth a couple of times, and throughout the letter, he's going to use it quite a few times. There's a heavy-handed use of that word, truth, and I'm gonna to suggest to you that's very intentional on the hand of Paul. And I think that we can sort of empathize with the reason why. You know, our culture has absolutely, it seems like, lost the definition of the word truth. I suggest that because of another phrase that is very prevalent in our culture, and that is your truth. That is an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense, right? because truth is objective. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. And so, as a culture, we have totally lost sight of the definition, the truest definition of that term. The whole point of using the word truth, whether it be in the court of law, or in scientific practice, or in theological study, is that truth is fixed. It's final, it is objective. And here's the thing, you can disagree with truth, that's fine, but your position would not be truth, right? Because truth is objective. It is fixed. And listen, that is Paul's point. There's nothing new under the sun, right? What we're dealing with in our culture has been dealt with for a long time. And that's Paul's point. That you've come to know and understand the truth of the gospel. The truth. The one truth of the gospel. And because of that, you have a hope. And because of that hope, you've been given an identity of Faith and love. This is what Paul is saying. Because of your hope, you have an identity of faith and love, and we've heard that about you. The reason that Paul can confidently address them in verse 1 even, or verse 2, when he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, the reason that he can confidently address them as saints or as Christians is because Epaphras, who's the messenger to him, has affirmed to Paul their identity of faith and love rooted in their hope. We've heard these things about you, Colossae. And so he can affirm that they are in fact in Christ. So what is their hope? Paul says that their hope was heard before in the word of truth, in a phrase, the gospel. Their hope is the same as your hope and my hope. And it's the same thing that they and we are rooted in, deeply rooted. I love the image of roots because it goes deep and it grips the foundation. What is it that we are rooted, deeply gripping into in a perilous world? Well, to take Paul's word, it's the truth of the gospel. The word gospel literally just means good news. It's the word, the truth of the good news. Well, what's the good news? Well, to have good news, you first have to understand the bad news. The bad news is that you and I are fallen, broken people. No one is is put together, right? We're fallen and broken people. The Bible calls the fact that we do bad and, and, and transgress against God and His perfect perfection and holiness. The Bible calls that sin, and that we have broken the the record of holiness. And so we are are beings that are deserving of eternity apart from God, not with God. And yet, the good news is that God appointed a plan through his son Jesus that he would rescue by the sovereign intervention of God in his suffering servant, the Christ. What's the good news? The good news is that God ransomed, purchased sinners. And he didn't lay it down with a check that he wrote out. He wrote it down with the blood of his son, Jesus, at a real place called Calvary. That is the good news. And God has ransomed sinners. By the way, I say these ransomed sinners, not saints. And yet we see in this passage that Paul addresses them as saints. I don't know about you, but not a day goes by that I don't feel like a saint. Morally speaking, I don't feel saintly. But here's the great news about the gospel That while you are a sinner, God has declared you as a saint, just like he has the Colossian church. How can he do that? Because you have been justified. It means you've been declared as righteous until the day comes that you are glorified. Justified until you are glorified. So what is the hope? What's the anchor? What are we rooted, rooted in? Rooted in the good news of the gospel justified until we are glorified and that day is coming and that's why it's a hopeful day the that that hope is the soil from which your life's vineyard then produces what paul says right before that the fruit of faith and the fruit of love and so i want to look at those things individually and look at what it means for us to exemplify that even right now so the fruit of faith and love number one what is he talking about says in verse four since we heard of your faith in christ that's what faith is, okay? Faith in Christ Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, a few things. First of all, it looks like resting in his work, not your own. You know, there's something about our performance-based mindset that if we perform poorly one day, we feel like we're not worthy or, or not not, uh, not loved by God or not accepted by him. But you have to understand that that is entirely too high a view of yourself and entirely too low a view of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Resting in the work of Jesus means that you do not not feel valueless before God, but full of value because Jesus has declared you as valuable. Resting in his work, not your own work. It also means, faith in Christ means that you live for his glory and not your own. It means that the filter through which you look at life Family, job, fun is not how can I gain satisfaction or how can I meet my own needs, but rather how can I serve God today? How can I serve God as a pastor or as a father or as a son? How can you serve God as a worker, as a mom, as a brother, as a sister, as a student? We glorify God. We live for his glory, not our own. Faith in Christ also means that if you believe in him, that you would seek to know him and to draw near to him. Faith in Christ. It's one of the fruits of our hope that we have in the gospel. Number two is what he says here, right? Is it, Not only is it faith in Christ, but secondly, just applying, is love for the saints, okay? Love for the saints. And we see this again in verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Again, the people in your life Believers are not, they don't act like saints. I live with with a home full of people that are not saintly in their behavior, and they live with me who is not saintly in my behavior. But, again, believers have been justified by God and so declared as saints. And so the instruction of being rooted in Christ, rooted in the gospel, is then to love fellow believers in your home and in your church and in other churches. Well, what does this look like? A few things. It means that right now you need to be thinking about how you can seek to meet the needs of others before you meet your own needs. It also means that you are marked by a lifestyle of forgiveness. It means that you exercise patience. It means that you are gracious and not holding grudges. That you assume the best and not assume the worst. It means that you crucify your gossip. It means that you're an encourager. It means that you pray for other believers. This is the fruit of faith in Christ and love for the saints. The fruit of faith and love, again, because of the hope that we have in the truth of the gospel. The soil of our hope. The second thing that the soil of our hope provides is multiplication and replication. Multiplication and replication. When I say multiplication and replication, if you don't kind of see where I'm going with that, and we'll kind of walk through the passage and see it a little more clearly, what I mean is reproduction in number, which would be evangelism, and reproduction in substance, which would be discipleship, and we'll kind of figure out what that means as we walk through it. You know, after Paul has now affirmed their identity of faith and love, again, because of their foundation of hope in the gospel, he then encourages them by saying, the gospel, by the way, not false teaching, but the gospel is active, right? It's active in Colossae, and it's active around the world, which is where he goes in verse 6. Check that out. Which has come, okay, so in the word of truth, at the end of verse 5, in the word of the truth, the gospel, verse 6, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. We'll stop there for just a moment. That last part is so vital. Remember what I said about that word truth? And That's not a coincidence on Paul's part. He is reemphasizing the real truth. He says, in truth, that is the grace of God, in truth. By now, he talked about the gospel being all around the world now. Now, this is their known world. And so we're talking about the gospel has now reached places like Syria and Asia Minor and Greece and Italy and perhaps even Egypt and North Africa and Persia or Iran, as we would understand it. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, there are false truths and those things are a dime a dozen. But our gospel, while, while those come and go, our gospel, the truth, the gospel is blowing up and it's producing fruit. Near and far. The word for that? It's multiplying. It's multiplication. It is reproducing in number. Look at verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it, okay, so the gospel, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your, maybe your translation says our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Just for a moment, uh, some translations say our, and some say your, and there's a lot of disagreement about this, but really, to be honest, it doesn't change the meaning of the passage. It seems to me, though, that our is probably a better translation because he says, verse 8, and has made known to you your love in the Spirit. So in place of Paul and Timothy ministering to these people, Epaphras has done so. And so I want you to see that the main thing that we want to look at here is that Epaphras, not Paul, has planted this church. Epaphras, not Paul, has ministered to these people. But I want you to look at a very specific word here in verse 7. He says, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Just as you learned it. Now, in our translation, in English, it says learned, okay? But the literal word is spelled and sounds much like the word for disciple. Uh, so the word for learn would be monthano, and the word for disciple would be mathetes. And so they sound a lot alike. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that there is a reason for that, okay? Now There are people, you know, some of you guys, uh, I went golfing with one, one of you one time, and um, he, he said, uh, now I'm going to learn you something, okay? And you know what that means. It's just a way of saying that he's going to teach me something. I think that he was being sarcastic. I don't think that he really talks like that, but he said, let me learn you something. And now what that means is that he's going to teach me something. And that's sort of the, the tone behind this word, is that that word that sounds a lot like disciple is rooted in the fact that there is some teaching that's going on. What Paul is saying is the same way that being a believer has been learned to you or has been taught to you, it is being learned to others. It's being taught to other people. You learned what it means to follow Jesus. You learned what it means not only to follow Jesus, but to grow in Christ's likeness And that is happening all over the world the reason I say that is this that Paul and Timothy and Epaphras were not in the business of making converts they were in the business of making disciples they weren't in the business of making converts they weren't in the business of having thousands just droves of people come and, and pray a confession of faith in Jesus and then saying you're good now for all of eternity we'll see you later That's not what the early disciples were in the business of doing. They weren't in the business of simply multiplying. They were in the business of replication, making disciples. If we are rooted in the hopeful soil of the gospel, not only will we be identified by faith and love, we will be identified as a church and as individuals by both multiplication and replication by evangelism, but also by discipleship. You know, I've titled this Rooted as you go through Colossians. And the reason why is because I think that the metaphor of the garden is so appropriate for our study. You know, at some point, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, someone in your life sowed the seed of the gospel with you. They, they, they sowed that seed. It took root in good soil, and by the grace of God, you placed your saving faith in Christ, and you were made new. But they didn't just leave you there. I mean, today, at least someone came behind them and cultivated that, right? Hopefully, someone cultivated that seed, and then that seed of the gospel produced fruit. You learned what it meant for Jesus to not only be your Savior, but for him to be your Lord, to be your Master. What it means to not only trust Jesus in saving faith, but then to live out that saving faith and grow in godliness. And so here's what I want to say to you, church. Not only are we in the business of multiplying, we're in the business of replication. Now, God is calling us to do what Paul mentions here in verses 6 through 8. He is calling you to be what someone was to you before. He is calling you to be the sower of the gospel, the seed. And he's calling you to then go and cultivate that gospel. You know, we're very good at preaching from the pulpit, but also to one another and posting about it or messaging about it. We're very good at preaching that we're to be the sower. Share the gospel is important, right? But man, so many of us, for something that's so foundational, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time that you had a real get down beneath the surface, real conversation with someone about where they would spend eternity? if it's really that grassroots, is it a marker of our hope? Are we multiplying? Are we being faithful in that? We love to preach that, but we rarely live that. On the other side of the spectrum, we're, we're not so great when it comes to following up on being the sower, but we devalue what it really means to be the cultivator. Again, we, we really talk about, we talk of evangelism, but discipleship just kind of falls by the wayside. We're all about dunking people in the water and baptizing and filling up the aisles. But are we about sitting across from someone at the table and talking to them about manhood, biblical manhood? Are we all about sitting across the table from someone at the coffee shop and talking about the sin that we struggle with? Are we cultivating? Are we learning people something? Paul reminded Colossae that the gospel was at work in Colossae, but it was also at work abroad. In church, I'll I'll remind you of the same thing. We have a real sense of boldness whenever we go on mission trips or do some, some effort where we don't have a reputation and a job. But the gospel isn't just active on mission trips. The gospel is not even just active in the pastor's office at the church. The gospel is at work in South Lamar. It's at work in New Hope. The gospel is at work in Columbus. The gospel is at work right here in Millport. The gospel is active in your living room right now where you sit with your family and watch the gospel perhaps taking root in the hearts of your young children. The gospel is active. I think we have a lot of aspirations for the people in our lives to grow in godliness, but parents, if you want your grandchildren to be sown the seed and cultivated well to be Christians and grow in godliness, it is your task today to sow and cultivate the gospel in their parents' your children. Be faithful. And now it can be discouraging, right? But I want to just encourage you and say this, that you are not expected to give growth to that seed. Only God can give life where there is none. You are required to go and be faithful. And trust God that he will then produce the fruit. I think there's a lot here for us, and we'll we'll move forward in Colossians next week. But as we sort of begin, uh, I think that a way that we can finish today is to prayerfully consider how you can be more rooted in the soil of hope tomorrow and the next day than you have been to this point today. How can we trust God and produce the the, the fruit of faith and love in ways perhaps that we haven't been so good at doing that lately? How can we be about the process, the production of multiplication and replication evangelism and discipleship that maybe we have fallen through the cracks on being faithful in. Or maybe for you this morning, you hear these things and, and you just think to yourself, you know, I, I think that I'm being pushed to and fro by the false teachings. You know I think that the gusts of this world have blown me about and it's because I'm not really rooted at all. And so my imploring to you this morning is that you would perhaps for the first time take hold of the roots of the hope that we have of the gospel. I've laid that out very clearly. And I don't like to assume information that just because maybe you live in the Bible belt that you have some sort of an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Today can be that day for you. So as we pray, as we close, let us reflect on what God may be doing in our hearts. And let's use our discussion questions for an opportunity to cultivate. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for this letter that you have given and passed down to us faithfully for a long period of time. I pray, Lord, that we would take deep root in the soil, the hopeful soil of the gospel. When you have been so faithful to grow us in many ways, I pray that you would continue to cultivate that in us and that we would cultivate that in one another. Lord, I pray for the person that's listening to this now that has never taken root in Jesus and that they are so discouraged and so heartbroken because they feel so vulnerable and unsure about where their hope lies. Lord, help them to be finalized today, not because they have some renewed sense of encouragement or assurance, but that they are latching on to the good news of the gospel. We thank you for that good news, and I pray that you would help us to be rooted in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just a reminder, we'll have our our discussion questions here in just a moment, and they'll be posted at the end of this video. I hope that it's a great week. And once again, I hope that you you stay safe with the storms that I think are expected today. Uh, Man, I love you guys, and I'm so thankful and and just blessed to be your pastor. I hope and long for the day that we can be together in the flesh again soon. And we long for that day, and man, it's going to be a good day. But we can have good days before that. Let's continue to trust in God in all things, and we'll see you soon.